The reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their home. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to your father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And announce to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Oh, thanks so much, Gwentlian, for reading that so beautifully. Many of you will know that before John started training to be a vicar, he was in a kind of indie pop band, and they even had a band manager. And bear with me here, the 
the father of the band manager, one day when he was in his early 20s, he was studying theology and training to be a vicar. And one day the phone started ringing and he picked up the phone and he was told that a cousin of his had died and that they had left him a vast country estate, including a mansion house with 82 rooms and various art and treasure in the house. That phone call, as you can imagine, uh, utterly changed his life. So he was given, um, he wasn't expecting that he hadn't earned, that he didn't deserve, but he couldn't ignore it either. And it was a life changer for him. The fact of the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth entitles you to an inheritance that you can't deserve, you can't earn, you probably weren't expecting, but it is gifted to you, it is offered to you freely. And you may have some questions you would want to ask about it, but you can't ignore it. You are being offered because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A life that is not limited by death. You are inheriting a new body, which as you grow older becomes more and more of a complete delight to you. You are being offered a part in the renewal of everything. You are inheriting a, a renewed earth. And that means that things that are twisted and broken are gonna be mended and put right. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, everything has been set right and will be made right. This inheritance, um, means that you are entitled to call God your father. It means that you are entitled to call Jesus a brother, that you are entitled to walk with him in a living relationship, a friendship, to know him as a guide from day to day. And it means that. God makes his home in you. This is um, a life changer. And a bit like that phone call, it will change your life forever. And on the one hand, it is cosmically speaking, the hinge of history. And ever since that date, we have dated our time and our years, haven't we? in relation to that event. And I want to focus in on John's particular account of this event. We're gonna look at two things. One is to do with the head and one is to do with the heart. So I wonder if you noticed as Gwentley and read through that passage that John talks about what the disciples saw seven times. So Mary sees the stone rolled away. Then John 
sees the linen cloths lying there. And then Simon Peter rushes on into the tomb and sees the linen and this face cloth that has been laid aside quite carefully. Then John sees and believes. Then Mary sees the two angels. Then she sees Jesus, but doesn't recognize him. And then at the end of that passage, it says she goes off to tell the other disciples that she has seen the Lord. So John wants you to know that it matters that these people were first-hand witnesses to this, that they were eyewitnesses to this event that changed history and that changes lives. And it's, we're talking about something real, something physical that they saw. It's not like a dream or a metaphor. <laughs> it's real. And actually, John uses three different verbs for seeing. And the second one he uses has to do with, it comes from our word theorize. So it's, it's, it's they see something, but they're, they're, they're exploring it in their heads. They're thinking it through, they're processing it. So when the disciples twice, he talks about them seeing these linen cloths, they're thinking about what they're seeing and they're trying to work out things like, if this body has been stolen, why would grave robbers leave the linen behind? Why would they unwrap a body before they stole it? But what John wants us to know is that this resurrection, this historical event bears thinking about. And as you probably know, various people have set out to disprove the resurrection and, and some of them have come to faith in doing that. And I just wanna to touch on four things to think about as, you, as we use our brains to kind of ask ourselves, do we really believe that this actually happened? And if this actually happened, what does it mean for me? First thing I'll touch on, I'm sure you've heard uh, probably us talk about before, which is um, that these women uh, are recorded as being the first witnesses. And I came across a brilliant quote by a second century Greek philosopher who was trying to discredit Christianity. Uh, he's called Celsus. And he says this, he says, how can anyone expect rational men to listen to the testimony of an hysterical female? Um, but as it turned out, he was using that to discredit Christianity. But actually, um, that has come to be one of the best um, evidences that the resurrection actually happened as the Gospels record it. Because after all, women were not credible witnesses in the culture. And so it would, it, it's one of the things that makes the story historically plausible that they would have recorded that women were uh, the first witnesses to the resurrection. And there are a couple of other things, um, things like in the Jewish uh, worldview, they were expecting a resurrection of everyone at the end of everything, but they had nothing on their radar to make them think that it would be um, a, a, a sort of plausible idea for somebody to be resurrected from the dead in the here and now. That was, that was a ridiculous um, idea. So again, it seems extremely unlikely that if you were going to make this up, you would include an idea like that, that one person is resurrected before the end of everything. And the, the other thing was that the Jewish mindset did not, and it would have been blasphemous, 
for a human to be God. And yet hundreds and hundreds of people meet the risen Christ and then, and then testify to the fact that he is God. They worship him. Their response is to worship him. That he was, after all, who he was. And that, again, is not something you would weave into a story you were making up because it was absolutely not on anyone's radar for um, God to be in human form. And the fourth thing, of course, is that many of them died because they wouldn't retract this statement that they had met with the risen Christ firsthand and they went to their deaths for that truth. So it bears thinking about, and maybe you're someone who's kind of gone along with a friend because they believe or they have faith or they think this is all real. And it's a day to think this through for yourself and decide for yourself, did this actually happen? Did Jesus break in in this way? Did he break through death itself? And if he did, what does that mean for me now? But alongside this, this invitation to think this through in your head is an invitation to let this um, change your heart. Because John's account in particular emphasizes Mary's grief. And it is clear, isn't it, that Mary has a great love for this man, Jesus, that she has a great affection for him, that um, she is devoted to him. And we see her devastated by this loss, devastated that this body has gone. That they've taken her Lord, they've killed him. And she says three times to the disciples, We see this massive grief being played out in Mary. It's a loss where she has literally lost the body. And the angels and Jesus say the same thing to her. They say, why are you weeping? This moment is an incredibly tender moment of the heart. And if you stop to think about it and think about how Jesus chooses to return. It is not accompanied by lightning or thunder or by an earthquake. He doesn't come flying through the air and, um, you know, rescuing people falling from a burning building. There is even trumpet but He doesn't even return saying, it's me does is speak gently and kindly and personally uh, to Mary. And um, there's a beautiful uh, plaque, which is Toby will show you. It's a 12th century Spanish um, ivory plaque. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, and at first you might think Jesus is poking Mary's eyes out. Because above, above it, it simply says, the Lord says Mary. So very early on, they recognized that this 
dance. And I wonder that this was a moment that was incredible joy um, as, they, as they recognized one another, if you like. And there's something about this moment um, that Mary um, is, is known in this moment by Jesus in gentleness and kindness. Say, it's me. He says, it's you. <laughs> and there's this beautiful idea in that, that she wouldn't have found him. He hadn't have found her. There's a grace and a mercy in that moment. She knows who he is because he knows who she is. <laughs> she knows who he is because he knows who she is. And there's a couple of ways I think this heart moment is especially poignant for us after the year we've had. One is that I think we've become a culture obsessed by identity. And if you think about us trying to get through COVID, in many ways, we know who we are in relation to others. And many of us have had our work, our family, our friends sort of stripped back from us. And it has raised this question, who am I? How do I know who I am? And certainly this year, I would say in our lostness, we've pushed on things like gender as an identity marker to tell us who we are and why we matter. So important, so profound. And here it is in a nutshell, that you come to the end of yourself as Mary did. You come in grief, you come in despair, you come weeping. And you find out who you are when you encounter the risen Jesus. You find out who you are when you meet the living Jesus and when he speaks your name. And we faced this year in many ways, unprecedented isolation and an experience of loneliness that has been for many unbearable. But this moment uh, is a moment of hopefulness. He sees you, he knows your name, he knows who you are, he loves you. There's such a sort of tenderness and a personalness and a closeness in this encounter. And as I finish, I just wanted to say, um, at the very end of that passage, Mary gets sent off as an apostle to the apostles. She gets sent and the, and the, and the word there is announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And what I love is that word announcing is the same word as the word for angel, angeloi and angelos. They, that's the same word. And, and just as we know angels uh, in this story and around the birth of Christ, they come as sent 
messengers. She is then sent announcing like an angel, announcing this incredible life-changing news. He is risen and that changes everything.